0: Make your way back to your seats if you can, please. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Had a great Sunday school. Thank everybody for coming out. I want to thank the Sunday school teachers for all your work and your effort that you put forth to making this day, this morning, a success. I know, yeah, give it up. I know for me, I I have the high school class and, um, you know, of course, we used to do Sunday school a lot. And it was just a reminder. It's one of those reminders that's the right thing. And uh, and I just want to thank you guys for giving your time. I want to thank those that are going to be taking the second shift and the third shift and the fourth shift. And um, lives are impacted by Sunday school. Amen. I've heard too many testimonies of uh, people that accredit hearing the gospel for the first time or or knowing the importance of the word through Sunday school. So I want to thank you, Sunday school teachers. I want to thank our staff. We have a great staff, and uh, Pastor Brown, um, always, it's so humbling to hear him talk about our staff, but from an associate pastor's perspective, um, I work with these guys a ton, and I work alongside of them, and um, and even the staff that we've had, the 18 years that I've been here, um, are just phenomenal people, and um, I want to honor these folks. The Bible says give honor where honor is due, and I think that's important, and as pastor says, I've got the microphone and you don't, so... That um, feels kind of mean to say. <laughs> I'm afraid one day somebody's going to run up here and take the micro. <laughs> Bring it. This is not the morning to do it, all right? Bring it. Um, but I want to thank our staff. And I think about this a lot. I've had the opportunity. I, me and my family are surrounded by some unbelievable people um, uh, just in our life. And, and the staff, these men and these women, their families, what they represent, uh, These people, Jace, Katie, uh, Aaron, and Chelsea, Shane, and Candace, um, they could be on staff at any church in America. I I truly believe that. They could lead. They could be in a mega church. uh, They could be in an urban church, a rural church. These folks could lead in any church in America, but they believe in what God is doing at Hebrew Springs. And so I honor you guys. Um, It's an honor to work alongside of you. Of course, Aaron and Chelsea Uh, they have done a phenomenal job with our church they do things that you'll never ever see they're back there right now I hope they watch this Um, please tell them how much you appreciate them Aaron was up here last night they come up here more than anybody in the middle of the night all hours of the day Um, Chelsea's a a very talented young lady that God is going to continue to use in our church Aaron of course his talents and then Jason Katie the last couple years they've jumped right in and And been phenomenal. Jace has done a great job uh, leading our Sunday school push and and just organizing. It takes a lot. I want to echo the words of Pastor Brown. A lot of people said, man, it's just coming to the church and you just have church. No, it takes a lot. It takes a lot, even in a church of this size. It's not just the six, seven hundred seat churches that uh, need a lot of work. It's churches like ours too. So, and Shane and Ken, they just do a phenomenal job. So, I honor you guys Ms. Um, Pastor Brown always does a great job. Thank you guys for all that you do, and I also want to honor two more people that it, they're they're my um, they're my staff, um, and and if the church was a bicycle, they would be the kickstand. and um, And the Lord just wanted me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And I, I just want to honor the Ogles, Jarrett and Angie, and um, they do so much for this church. Put your hands together. They do so much for this church. I promise you, if they left, you would feel the sting. And they literally, when they got here, they jumped in and they do everything. And um, I try to tell them to say no, but they—they they never will. I don't think. I've, every yes or no question I've ever asked them, I believe they've said yes, and I can honestly say that. Even when it comes to watching my children, and that is an act of God. Okay, <laughs> so I just want to honor you guys from the stage. Um, you guys are amazing, and I'm just I'm just honored to have people like that um, in my life. And so, thank you guys for all you do. And then I want to honor my my pastor, of course. Um, he does such a great job, and I'm so glad that um, he's having a great time. I say this a lot, and he probably hates it when I do it, but I don't care. Um, when he goes on vacation, he he, it's almost like a college buddy because he'll send me these pictures and and. Uh, you know, but it's just, it's so good to see him have a good time outside of the church. Um, he sent me a picture. He was on the golf course, and there were some elk kind of in front of him, and and just just what he was wearing. You know, it's just it's <laughs> he doesn't wear anything different when he goes to Colorado. So I'm just telling you that. So uh, <laughs> there. They're having a great time i've always said it If you look at my life and my family's life I have emula- i 've become pastor Brown except for the clothing maybe one day but um, um but not now but uh that's what he's comfortable in they're having a great great time uh The weather's been awesome and I just want to honor my pastor if he's watching or if he's on the golf course um, thanks pastor for uh um, for for Giving us the keys to the car, per se. Um, for one, it's because we have a great staff and a pastor can leave. There's a lot of churches can't do that. And I'll tell you that right now. Dr. Brassfield will probably attest to that. But he, um, he respects us enough to leave us the keys. And we don't always tell him everything we do. But um, at least it, it, it's still not burned down. And we give him the keys back when he gets back. So thanks, Pastor, for allowing us to be just to be us. And I also want to say hello to um, some people online, of course our online audience, and then um, our basketball staff is watching today. They're visiting family up in Northwest Arkansas, and I'm trying to get these guys saved, but um, uh, just an inside joke there, but we got the Lord's opened up an amazing door for me, and we the Lord has put me in the middle of a bunch of young guys coaching basketball, and I'm kind of like the, uh, the old grandpa of the bunch, so I just want to say hello to you guys, and um appreciate you guys watching. Their families are watching this morning. Um, I've got some flyers here. If you're a business owner, if you're somebody that, man, you can get, you, you're a good advertiser. You're good at getting the word out. I've got some flyers here that after service, if you want to come down um, and put them up in your shop, if you want to hang them up somewhere where you know there's going to be a lot of traffic, it's just our camp night event coming up September 25th for the youth. And uh, we're really excited about this. You've heard us talk about it. We've been praying about it. We believe that this event uh, potentially could spark something uh, with the teenagers in the hill country in north central Arkansas for the next coming years. We believe in it that much. So after service, grab one, two. I can make more. I think there's 30 there. And just put them up all over town. This is for middle school and high school students. And uh, we're trying to create a camp-like atmosphere because Um, Your teenager goes to camp, and they act completely different than they do normally. And um, they're just unbelievable at camp. And then they come back, and it's kind of the same old, same old. Not all of them, but most of the time it happens. So we said, why don't we create something once a month that puts kids in an environment where they experience the presence of God like camp. So that's our intention. That's our goal. Um, We've already had churches reach out to us from Little Rock. And uh, surrounding areas. So we're really expecting this house to be full Sunday night, September 25th. So adults, I need you to pray. Just intercede um, and uh, just believe that God is going to do amazing things. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning. I take this very serious. Um, Us staff guys talk about it a lot. Nobody understands this moment and what it's like to have the microphone in front of a couple hundred people, and there be an expectation to preach the word of God—it's—it's—it's it's, it's heavy. Uh, Is one of the best ways you can explain it. I told Jace before he walked in the office. A while ago, I said I can't breathe. That's what it feels like right now. And it's not because I'm nervous. The, y'all know me. I'm not nervous. I'm the guy Jace preached about last week—the obnoxious guy that won't shut up. That's me. He's the silent assassin. Um, I'm more the loud, boisterous guy. So it's not nerves, it's the anointing. And it's a burden for the lost. And it's a burden for people where you get to a point where you can't breathe. So if you're a visitor, if you're here and you came to listen to Jace, or you're expecting pastor, you're going to be disappointed um, today because you're going to know who I am. Because I'm going to cry, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to snot, I'm going to slobber, I'm going to yell. So um, that's just who God created me to be, and and you're in a church where we do not perform for anybody. We are strictly led by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's so needed in this day and time we live in. If you're under somebody, and I'm not up here talking about anybody specifically, but if you're under somebody as your spiritual leader, and it's more show and it's more entertainment and they want to appease you and make you happy, you need to reconsider your spiritual leadership. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Hopefully some of you read the first chapter I mentioned on the phone tree yesterday. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Let's read the verse, and then we're going to build some context and... We're going to see where this takes us. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for who you are, who I'm not. I thank you, Lord God, that I don't have to stand up here and trust in my words. I don't have to try to impress anybody. But I can stand up here knowing that I'm saying the things that you want me to say. I prayed 10 days ago, God, and I used the word exactly. I prayed to you that you would lead me to do exactly what you want me to do. And I know that's why I can't wholly breathe right now. And God, I prayed that you would put the people that you want to be here in the seats. And the ones you wanted watched online to be watching. So I pray, God, that this word would move on the hearts of the people to leave this place wanting to turn the world upside down for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to go back to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to build some context. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I wasn't going to do it, but the Lord wants me to do it. So I'm going to do it. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. And if you have your Bible, or maybe you've done this before, maybe you haven't, there's some maps in the back of your Bible. Don't just ignore those maps. I challenge you to look at those maps and look at the journey that these men took. Paul and his team took unbelievable journeys mountainous journeys coastal journeys across the sea across the land and if you look at his second missionary journey it's it's no different must have been an unbelievable thing not to have an address their address was wherever they landed that night was their address that was their home And in chapter 16, I want to build a little context leading up to the 17th chapter, and I'm just going to read it because the word is better than my words, but in Acts chapter 16, Timothy's going to join up with Paul and Silas, and I want to pick it up at verse 11. So they're heading, I would say, northwest, northwesterly direction, heading toward Macedonia, which is pretty much current-day Greece, Turkey area. And in verse 11, it says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart. Listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The importance of sharing the word of God. The Lord opened her heart to the heed, to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed. I love that greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not the woman, he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Or in my language, I command you in the name of Jesus to shut your mouth. You can laugh, it's all right. And he came out of that very hour. So people are getting saved. Demons are being cast out. We're in the Philippi region now, verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, they're Roman citizens, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I want to build this context that these men, this team, Paul and Silas and this team of people, Timothy, Luke, possibly, that this team was on a journey, but they wasn't just on a little missions trip journey where they're all wearing the same t-shirts and they rode an air-conditioned bus to the airport and got into an air-conditioned plane and went to a far-off land to do a little missions trip. The things that they were running into were unimaginable. They were beaten, the Bible says. And thrown into jail. Fastened into the stocks. Verse 25. But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Understand that. People are listening to you. Every day. Whether you're rejoicing and giving God glory. Or whether you're just having a horrible day. And you're complaining and you're gropping about everything. People are listening to you. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice. I love that. He was about to kill himself. And the Bible says that Paul saw it and he called out with a loud voice. I'm going to get to that later. He called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was about to kill himself, but because Paul called out, the Bible says now he wants to be saved. Come on, somebody. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in this house. And he took them to the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Come on, somebody. You might not just be speaking to one person, you might be speaking to generations. Verse 34. Now when he had brought them into the, his house, he set before them, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Share the gospel with somebody, you might get a meal. Praise God. Verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore, depart and go in peace. The magistrates come in and act like everything's hunky-dory. We're going to let you go. You should be thankful for us. Watch Paul's reaction. Verse 37. Don't forget they beat them. Verse 37, when Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into the prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, no. Let them come themselves and get us out themselves. I love Paul's boldness. I love Paul's intensity. He wants to hold people accountable. Verse 38, and the officers told these words to the magistrates. Can you imagine And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Amen. That wasn't even in my text or wasn't even in my notes just building a context of what is happening they're on this journey there's all kinds of crazy things happening good and bad people are getting saved Uh, demons are being cast out they're being thrown in jail now chapter 17 they proceed to Thessalonica which currently I just like to say this word is now called Thessaloniki I just like that honey if we have another kid we're gonna name him Thessaloniki call him Niki that will never happen so that's why I said that (laughs) which is basically modern-day Greece, second-largest area in Greece, very populated, chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphip- Amphip- Amphipolis and Apollonia, why can't it be Concord and Quitman? They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay, catch that. There was a synagogue of the Jews in some of these areas that Paul was on his missionary journey to. But remember, Paul and his team didn't necessarily have the message of the Jews or the Torah or the, or the law. They had the message of Christ, right? Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen. Now, Paul and his team are taking the gospel to all these different places, starting all these churches So in verse 2, it says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. That's the message that Paul was taking into the synagogues. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas so some of them accepted the gospel but some of them did not verse 5 tells us that but the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered in a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason i like Jason because it's just Jason and not jackalama lama shishal it's Jason and sought to bring them out to the people verse 6 We've already read it. We'll read it again. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here, too. A couple more verses. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Title of My Message This Morning How Will You Be Remembered? How Will You Be Remembered? When Your Time Is Called by the Lord, today, tomorrow, 10, 50, 100 years from now, how will you be remembered? Now, some of you already have in the thoughts of, it's not going to matter how I'm remembered because I'm going to be with Jesus. Yes, that's true, but I disagree. It does matter. Because the things that you say and the life that you live affects other people that are still on this earth. And there's generations at stake. There's lost people at stake. There's mamas and daddies at stake. There's teenagers. There's kids at stake. There's grandmas and grandpas at stake. How will you be remembered when you depart from this earth? These men were remembered as the ones that turned the world upside down. I can only hope that the day that my number gets called, that somebody can say anything close to that. Jojo was somebody that turned the world upside down. That should be our goal, amen? The early Christians, they weren't nice. They were righteous. Now, I'm sure some of them were nice, but as a whole they weren't so concerned about pleasing everybody as they were concerned about being righteous to God and reflecting that in their daily lives to lost people. They weren't always politically correct. They were more radical. If you are a Jesus-loving Jew and you're going to these unknown places and you're literally walking into synagogues preaching that there's a king and his name is Jesus, that's radical. That is radical. They weren't concerned about being political correct. They weren't p- concerned about if, if I'm going to say the wrong thing or say the right thing. And I believe this, and we got to give some definition here so don't go off the cliff too much, but God is still looking today for radical, righteous revolutionaries to reach out to a generation of radical, unrighteous revolutionaries. Obviously, I don't need to say this from the pulpit. There is a battle right now. There's a battle. And when I say revolutionaries, I don't mean to just because you're mad and you go get a sign and you're going to stand at the Capitol with a sign. That's not the kind of revolutionary that I'm talking about or I want to address today. I want to address that there is such a need for us, the church, to be revolutionaries in our daily life. In our daily life to be radical in our daily life to say what do you mean should I get up angry at everything that's going on in the political world should I get up angry no I'm not connecting angry mad mean people with revolutionaries I'm connecting Jesus loving spirit-filled people that are hurting for the lost revolutionaries that want to leave a mark on this earth no matter how bad the culture gets No matter who, no matter if Biden's in office or Trump is in office, it doesn't matter. We're always going to have issues. We're always going to have problems. Somebody needs to address them. And the problem right now is the church is not addressing them. The bad guys are. So we stand around complaining and griping about everything that's going on when really part of it is us. There's a problem and there's a there's a real problem when you got more Trump bumper stickers than Jesus bumper stickers. Get mad at me all you want. This is between good and evil. And we the local church represent good in Christ. I don't want to be known for somebody that grops and complains, and I don't want to be known as somebody that sits around worried that the world the end, the end of the world's going. I want to be the one running into the darkness. because there are people that are so desperate to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. These guys on this journey, nothing was halfway. Nothing was halfway. They went full throttle. I wrote it this way nothing is ever fun if you do it halfway. It's so true. That's why the local church is boring to a lot of people because they don't fully commit to it. That's why they 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 go to this church and that church and they try to find that perfect beautiful church because they're just doing this Christian thing kind of halfway. Well the preacher's word was okay. It was the word. It was great. It doesn't matter how the preacher it's the word and it was great. We do things so halfway in the church world, and as a Christian, and listen, I'm, the, I'm preaching t- to a mirror right now. I'm not mad at y'all. I'm just mad at all the other churches, as Pastor Andre would say. We're doing things halfway. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at it. Paul, once again, speaking to another church, Corinth. Y'all with me? Say yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 We got to quit doing things halfway y'all Come on We got to quit doing things halfway individually and as a corporate body 1 Corinthians chapter 9 Paul challenges makes a challenge here Paul chapter 9 verse 24 He says do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Paul says there's one prize. I need all of you to run to that. Like you want to be the first one to get it. Run. Don't walk. Don't slightly jog. I'm getting in that phase where I'm kind of the fast walker. You know, I don't run anymore. I never ran, but you know. Paul said run. Now's the time for the church to run. Paul and his team, land, sea, the miles, Dr. Brassfield, that they covered. Unbelievable. They didn't have an SUV. They didn't have a plane. The the miles that they covered and the impact that they made, that's how we remember them. We can't get out of our air-conditioned home and grab our iPhone And get the right outfit to come to church. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Paul said run. Look at verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. We got to quit living like we're going to get something on this earth. Our reward and our crown is in glory. Come on, somebody. Go back to Acts chapter 17. Look how Paul taught the Jews in the synagogue. The Bible says he reasoned with them, he explained, and he demonstrated. He reasoned with them, meaning there was a dialogue. There was a dialogue, whether he agreed with what the person's beliefs were or not, whether the person that he was dialoguing with was a, a, a Democrat or a Republican, whatever. He dialogued with them. He reasoned with them. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give a defense of the Scriptures. Don't just get mad because they don't have the same belief that you've had that's all we do these days we just get mad and then we go to facebook and we go to social media and we just instead of reasoning with people instead of having a dialogue with people and just asking them they will listen they will listen but if the first thing out of your mouth is well you're just not believing right and you're wrong they're not going to listen I can't walk into the public school and look at a bunch of teenagers and go, oh, you guys are going to hell. I can't believe you listen to that kind of music. And then walk off and expect for there to be a great revival happening in Heber Springs. I don't know that kid's background. I don't know that the fact that that kid, ever since they were born, has literally lived in darkness every day of their life. How dare me come in and condemn them? Now, not only is everybody condemning me, my parents weren't there for me, nobody was there for me. Now, the youth pastor comes in and tells me how bad I am. The adult world sometimes, unfortunately, is no different. We gotta have compassion. We gotta love the gospel. We gotta love the message so much that we're willing to reason, we're willing to explain. Paul explained the gospel to them. You know why sometimes the local church can't explain the gospel to people? Is because we don't know the word. We don't know the scriptures. Because we're dependent upon the guy that knows the scriptures. Or the girl that knows the scriptures, or the next greatest preacher that I just love their style. You're dependent upon them. Well, that person is not with you in the marketplace when that person is eye to eye with you and they want to hear about the gospel. You act like you're so mad. I am. Not at you, mad at the devil. I'm mad at the darkness. We got to do more. We got to do more. And number three, Paul demonstrated. Demonstrated. You hang out with Paul just for a moment, and you'll see what he's about. Come on, somebody. Pastor says it all the time. You hang out with a painter, you'll get paint on you. I told some of the basketball staff that when I first kind of joined the team. I was like, listen, he's... Take the good with the bad. You're going to get some pain on you. We got to love unbelievers. We got to demonstrate that love in front of them. I don't care what comes out of their mouth. I don't care what shirt they're wearing. I don't care what post they made that made you so mad the day before. They are a child of God just like you are. And God created them to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ from you. And if they don't hear it from you, who are they going to hear it from? D.L. Moody, some of you know who that is, back in the day, the way back in the day, early church leader. It says, D.L. Moody was one of the amazing early church leaders who had a sense of humor. His part-time job was selling shoes. In those days, the customer would come into the store and the shoe salesman would pull all out all the shoes from the back and help the customer try on the shoes. So obviously, if a customer wanted to try on a bunch of shoes, it was a lot of work for the salesman. There was a very heavy-set gentleman that would come in all the time to the store where D.L. Moody worked. He would try on about 30 pairs of shoes. 30. Some of y'all can relate to that. Some of you shoe freaks, all right? But he would never buy any of them. Some of y'all can relate to that, too. How many of y'all try on a bunch of shoes, but you never buy it? Come on, be honest, ladies, come on. Don't lie, you're lying. So D.L. Moody would get all the shoes out for him, help him try them on, and then have to put all of them back for nothing. Finally, D.L. Moody decided he would get the guy. He knew what chair he always sat in, so he cut a hole in the big plump chair and stuck a massive pail of water with ice cubes under the chair. When the customer came in to sit down, he sank slowly into the ice cubes. If you would have been there that day, it says, you would have seen this heavy man with a wet rear running down the street chasing D.L. Moody and screaming as D.L. Moody was laughing. This is one of our great spiritual leaders of days gone by. Sounds like a staff member here at First Assembly. Now, D.L. Moody could have been known for, or he could have answered the question, how was D.L. Moody remembered? He could have been remembered as a shoe salesman that was a practical joker. And we could cut up about that and tell stories about DL, like some of us do, some of our relatives. He was a joker, man. He would do some crazy things. Man, how do you remember this person? Y'all been at those funerals? I've done those funerals. Gather around, and people just laugh and share, and that's fine. But it seems like, you know, maybe all you would hear is they just cut up, they laugh, they did this, did it. He could have been happy with just that. But God had a bigger plan for him. It says months later, the amazing man of God when he was around 19 years old, was walking home, and he heard a preacher at a storefront church. The life-changing words Moody heard the storefront preacher say, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man or woman totally surrendered to him. Walking home that night, Moody said to himself, that preacher didn't say a talented man. He didn't say a sinless man. He didn't say the most intelligent man or even a handsome man or even a shoe salesman man with a sense of humor. He just said a totally surrendered man. And by the grace of God, I will be that man, he said. That's how D.L. Moody's remembered today. As a man of faith that was totally sold out, that was totally surrendered. Yeah, he had a sense of humor. He was a shoe shoe salesman. But those were kind of secondary notes, right? How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as the good aunt that just made everybody laugh? And that's good, and that's great. You want to be known as the grandma that could throw down on some fried green tomatoes? Trust me, I love you, Grandma, if you're that person. Those things are important, but not as important as being known for the person that was sold out to Jesus Christ. Known to be the person like Paul when he went in the synagogue who reasoned with people, who explained the gospel, and who demonstrated the gospel. That should be our goal when people talk about us when we're gone. It's our destiny. I've I've tried to start, I've said this more often in the last couple years to the teenagers. I've tried to make sense of this. But we are here for one reason, and that is to magnify and glorify Jesus Christ. That's the only reason that we're put on this planet. Everything else is secondary. There's good things in there, but everything else. How many know it flows from the top? If you can get this one, everything else will be all right. If you can sell out to Jesus Christ, you'll be a good mom. You'll be a good dad. You'll be a good husband. You'll be a good wife. I put down destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Destiny is not a thing we wait for. It's something we savagely hunt down and devote a lifetime of clawing to achieve it. Don't you want to do something with your life that will last? That will last. So I'm going to give you four just quick qualities that will get you remembered God's way. Four quick qualities that will get you remembered God's way. The first one is this. In a world of compromises, dare to have some absolutes. This connects with what Jace preached on And By the way. Uh, I told him, I I truly believe it, last week, and you probably shouldn't do this. It's probably not good at all, but, you know, I'm a youth pastor, what do you say? Um, That was one of the top ten messages I've ever heard. That was an outstanding message. If you didn't see it, you need to go back and watch it. In a world of compromises, dare to have some absolutes. Have some things in your life that you are not willing to come off of. Have some hills that you're willing to stand on that nobody on God's green earth will knock you off of that. And it ends, starts and ends with the word of God and prayer. Nobody can knock you off that absolute. Nobody can knock you off that absolute. Anything you compromise to gain, you will eventually lose. Compromising is one of the biggest spiritual killers in our world. We compromise over everything. We've got to quit compromising. Mark chapter 13, verse 31 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The word of God has to be an absolute in your life. I mentioned it earlier, and I truly believe one of the biggest downfalls of the Western church today is our lack of confidence or the lack of knowledge to be able to dialogue with somebody about the word of God. That's just the truth. Nobody can, you can try to argue with me, that's fine, I win. That's the truth. We don't know the word of God. We know more about everybody else's personal lives than we know about Jesus's personal life. We know more about everything else in pop culture. We know everything else about Netflix. We know everything else about everything except the word of God. We can't compromise the word. It will never pass away. It will never pass away. You'll never change the world. Jason mentioned this. You'll never change the world as long as you're like it. You'll never change the world if you're just like it. The thing that, oh, one of the things that just irks me so bad is we are so image-based people. We judge people by their image. When we do the same things they do, we just dress the right way. That is so shallow, and it makes no sense. We judge people by the, their outward image, as the word in the Old Testament and First Samuel told us not to do, but to judge, God said the heart, not the outward appearance. It's one of the reasons David was chosen. It wasn't because he necessarily looked the part, but it was his heart. But we're no much no better than they are. Well, they've got piercings all over their face, and they got tattoos everywhere, and they got this, and they got that. Do you know your youth pastor still has a hole in his ear? It's still open. I can still put an earring right there. Do you know I got tattoos? Oh, my gosh. Send me right now. I'm going to burn forever. But because I'm dressed, the part, right, you don't see those things. Man of God. But what if I came in here and I had sleeveless tank top on? My wife says, oh, God, let not that be happen. No, ever. And I wore my earring. What would happen then? Some of you maybe would judge me when you pretty much share the same heart as me. We can't be like the world. This is one of my favorite points. The world is sick of opinions. They're looking for someone with enough guts to say this is what God says in his word and I stand by it. But to be able to say, to be able to say this is what God says in his word and I stand by it, you have to know the word. So quit giving me your opinion about what's going on in the world and let's sit down at lunch and talk Bible. Quit showing me the latest, greatest video on YouTube or Facebook. Quit sending that stuff to me and let's sit down at lunch and let's talk about what the Bible says. What the Word of God says. And let's pray. If it bothers you so much, then let's pray about it. You got time for that? Probably not. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the other people. <laughs> Two forces fight within my heart one is dark and one is smart. The new I love, the old I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. Whatever you feed yourself will dominate your thoughts. If you spend seven to eight hours on your Facebook feed and you jump on your Version app before you walk out the door as you're sprinting and running after you slapped the kids, after you spilt the coffee, after you grabbed your keys and you jumped on U Version and looked at the verse of the day and expect your day to go the way God wants it to go, it will not. And because you spilled your coffee and you lost your keys and you knocked out Sally and she's still on the floor at home and you forgot her to take her to school. Now you're frustrated and stressed and all jacked up. So what do we do when we're frustrated and stressed? We don't go to the Word. We go to Facebook. And we look at everybody else's life, feel good about ourselves. You have to shut me down all you want. That's reality. The reality we live in. And then when I feel sanctified and holy again, I'll jump back on Facebook and I'll talk bad about everybody and how the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. While I haven't read or studied any scripture or for anybody. And then we expect everything to get better. I got shocking, breaking Fox News for you. Whether you get the most wonderful, glorious human being in the White House, or whether you don't, whether everybody just begins to hold hands and sing songs, or they don't, things aren't going to get better. Read the Word. Read the Word. Before all these conspiracy theories, before all this craziness and chaos, the Word told us it's impossible for 8 billion people to be on this earth, 8 billion sinners, and somehow, eventually, everything become good. (laughs) I can't get 8 people in a 5,200 square foot house to be good. How are we going to get 8 billion together to hold hands and sing kumbaya and expect everything to get better. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All temptation to compromise is just a distortion from the enemy, promising you something he cannot permanently deliver. The only permanent thing is Christ Jesus. It's the only permanent thing. Second quality that we need to be remembered. Is in a world of shallow relationships, I dare you to verbalize your affections. I dare you. Let me read that again. In a world of shallow relationships, I dare you to verbalize your affections. That means with your mouth, not your thumb. That means with your eyes and your shoulders squared. When you can look in the eyes of another human being, God did that for a reason. He gave us two eyes to look in other people's eyes because you can see a lot when you look in somebody else's eyes. And the Holy Spirit, well, there's this activation process the Holy Spirit will do when you look somebody else in the eyes and you're led by the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that. You'll hear the voice of God clearer when you look at people. Yeah, you can send them a nice email. You can send them on Facebook Messenger. You can do all those things. When you look at another human being in their eyes, especially these young little ones, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. You don't die for something that you haven't seen lived up close. All these babies, all these kids, all they see is it. So let me say it again. You don't die for something that you haven't seen lived up close. We want teenagers to to be good Christians and love the Lord. We got to put this down and show them how. Show them how. Show them how. John chapter 21, John chapter 17, Jesus is verbalizing. John chapter 21, Jesus verbalizing with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? He's verbalizing these things. He's, He's making eye contact. I have the greatest wife on planet Earth. That's good, guys. You shouldn't have said amen. If I text my wife, which I do sometimes. Hey, honey, I love you. Heart, fire, beer mug. Y'all got to laugh a little bit. I do sometimes, though, just to be funny. Sometimes I'll throw some random ones in there, T-bone steak, surfer, cow. Maybe not the cow. That's not a good one. Well, the steak reference, that's what I meant. Y'all hush. But if I send her a text message and I say, I love you, honey, Send. And us guys, we're like three or four words, right? And we're like, yeah. And then, of course, they respond with like eight paragraphs. <laughs> and we're like, why did I do that? It's not my point. My point is, I could do that. And we do that sometimes because we are busy lives. Even sometimes we're on campus together, we won't see each other. And our lives are just crazy. And she'll text back. She's good about texting back. And that's great. That makes you feel good, right? You got the text? Did you read it? How does that make you feel? Make you feel good? Did it go through? (laughs) Bad service? Oh, she sent thumbs up back. (laughs) But if I look at my wife, and I say, I love you, and I appreciate you, and I can touch her, it's a game changer. Now I've got her attention. See, she might get a text message in the middle of class, and if you've ever been in a physical science class with thirty teenagers, good luck. She's probably not going to grab this Craig and be like, "Oh, my husband's so sweet." There will be no touching, there'll be no eye contact. I can text Rainy Joe, "Hey Rainy Joe, have a great day at school. I love you, sis." That'd be cool, right? Right? She's like, "I wish you'd do that more often." But if I look at you, right, forty-something-year-old woman. Married six kids, teenager. If I look at you and I say that, that means a lot, doesn't it? She'll never forget that. We have to verbalize our affections. When you verbalize your affections, then you have an open door to share the gospel with Christ Jesus. Then you are remembered as somebody who was personal. You was remembered as somebody who actually cared. Amen? Number three. In a world of spiritual wipeouts, dare to get back up again after you fail. Everybody wipes out. I don't care if you're a megachurch leader or if you're a local, wherever you're at. Every spiritual person. Read the book, God's and Generals. It speaks of some of the, the great evangelists of our time, and they all failed. They all failed. But get back up again, amen? Peter, my goodness, need I say more? Peter's not remembered for the names that Jesus called him, the bad ones. Peter is remembered for the ones, the good ones, the rock, I'll build a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. You're gonna fail, that's okay. I would rather fail at trying to share the gospel with somebody than fail not to. And here's the cool thing, you'll never fail if you got the right heart. You'll never fail. Your failures can push you into his presence. Most of us say we believe in heaven, but we don't live like it. That's true. Micah 7 and 8 says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy, for though I have fallen, I will arise. Though I've messed up, I'll come back again. I'll arise. People need to hear that message. Teenagers need to hear that message. It's okay to fail. It's okay to mess up. Just because we're adults doesn't give us, like, a free pass. Right? And that's, that's something I've battled with in youth ministry for years because it's real easy for me to stand on a stage and condemn a bunch of teenagers and then go home and realize, I did the same thing. And they need to hear that. They need to hear that. Be someone that hell hates. I want that said of me. Amen. Be somebody. What was so and so known for? They were known for hell hated them because of what they did for the kingdom. And the last quality, the last quality that I believe you need to be remembered in the kingdom is in a world of selfishness, dare to drop yourself into a hole. In a world of selfishness, dare to drop yourself into a hole. I'm going to bring it home right here. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. You must be the change that you want to see in a world. You complaining about things, because I'm going to hammer on this, because this, I believe this is one of the biggest black eyes in the local church. If you think keeping just complain, 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 and you doing nothing about it is going to fix anything, it will never fix anything. I almost entitled my message, if you don't like the toilets, why don't you clean them? That is not a shot at anybody, because I'm the toilet cleaner in the church. So some, you're like, oh, he's mad at somebody. No, I just thought it was a funny title. But if all you do is, ah, the toilets at First Assembly are bad. They're just terrible. They're all, yeah, yeah. And you don't do anything about it? You don't come to the head janitor? But you just get on Facebook? I'm not going to First Assembly anymore because the toilets are disgusting. The preaching's great and the worship's awesome, but the toilets are nasty. But the point, Right? Kiara, you talked about Wednesday. You said you'd clean toilets. Be careful saying that. That was literally one of the first things, it was literally one of the first engagements me and Pastor Brown ever had. I came in his office in 2003, and I said, hello, my name is Jojo Riggs. I used to go to church here as a teenager. I've been living a horrible, hellish life, and the Lord's got a hold of me. I'm here to do something. I don't know what it is. And I said, I'll clean toilets. Be careful saying that. I actually love cleaning toilets. It's one of my favorite things to do. Shows you where I'm at in my life. Um, one more story and we're done. In the world itself, just dare to drop yourself into a hole. During the height of World War II, and I'm closing, I promise. During the height of World War II, a large British military force had to retreat to the French coastal port of Dunkirk. Finding themselves almost cornered in, the British army faced a brutal, german militia that threatened to literally drive them into the sea i'm gonna ask the worship team to come up here i just felt boom that's what we should do i need you guys up here the british army faced a brutal german militia that threatened to literally drive them into the sea to save what he could of his army british prime minister winston churchill called for all available sea vessels whether large or small, to evacuate the soldiers and civilians from the besieged French beaches and to bring them back across the English Channel to safety. It was an unforgettable and terrorizing hour in history. An incredible array of ships and boats raced to the rescue, small fishing boats and huge cruise ships alike. As the boats and ships made their way to the beach to rescue the trapped soldiers, Nazi aircraft began to shoot at them like vultures. Ships were being riddled with machine gun fire, and some were blown out of the water entirely. Three German bombers attacked the defenseless Lancastria, a converted cruise liner whose decks and hold were packed with soldiers they were attempting to rescue. One bomb dropped directly down the ship's smokestack, making a huge gap in her lower hull. Because of that fatal blow, nearly 200 men found themselves trapped in the forward hold of the now severely leaking ship. No one doubted that the liner was going down. Chaos, smoke, oil, fire, and blood, mixed with the terrified screams of the men trapped below, created pandemonium on deck as those hopeful of surviving raced for the lifeboats boats, or simply jumped into the water. Moving deliberately through the middle of this living nightmare, a young chaplain quietly worked his way to the edge of the hold and peered in at the eternal darkness below. He paused for a moment just as another blood-curdling scream came from the terrorized sea of humanity beneath. Then fully knowing that he could never get out, the young chaplain recklessly dropped himself into the hole. Survivors later related that the only thing that gave them the courage to survive in their lifeboats until passing ships could rescue them was hearing the strong, brave voices of men in the dark hole who following the leadership of the young chaplain had begun to sing hymns as the ship slowly rolled over and then plunged eternally to the bottom of the ocean. So this chaplain had a choice. He could jump into the ocean, he could jump into the lifeboat, or he could drop down the hole where 200 men knowingly were going to die and suffer. He could hear them suffering. He was going to be remembered as a pretty good chaplain, good cook, great dad. They're going to talk about him for a while. He's a good guy. Preach, man. He could preach the paint off the walls. But he wasn't happy with that. He said, "You know what? I want to be remembered as the one that was completely." recklessly sold out to Christ Jesus. So I'm going to take my life and I'm going to jump in that hole with those 200 people and we're going to sing about Jesus until he takes our last breath. And because he made that choice to get out of his comfort zone and to be known as as a Christian revolutionary, not only were them men at peace when that ship sank, but the men that were on the boats and in the water was at peace because they could hear what a few minutes earlier sounded like blood curling screams. Now it was peace. There was a ripple effect because of one man's choice to say, you know what? I'm not just good with being a good dad, a good mom, a hard worker, good to my community, good cook. Man, they, they, they had good style. Man, they could really put their hair together. No, I want to have a lasting mark for the kingdom. And I'm going to run to the darkness instead of running away from it. And I'm not going to stand at the smokestack and give my opinions about what's going on. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to complain to other people about why the ship's sinking. I'm not going to complain about the leader that was over the ship that should have done a better job. It bothers me, so I'm going to do something about it. That's what the local church's job is to do, is to do something about it. It's to jump in the smokestack. It's to go to the public school. Even if you don't like the way it's going, go do something about it. Go do something about it. It's hard to run to the darkness every day. Me and my wife of 18 years have made a choice to run to the darkness. Not just the school. I'm not singling the school out. There's great things happening at the school. It's because of Jesus. That's just an example of one of the things that's being attacked so viciously. And sometimes by the local church. What are you doing about it? I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or because my kids are driving me to the point where I just (laughs) want to jump in the (laughs) smokestack. I've never been more ready and willing and almost at peace, Dr. Brassfield, to run into the darkness. Because running the other way is too easy, man. It's too easy. And it's never fulfilling, ever. You might get a little charged because... Maybe you feel like you got a little soapbox that you can get up on and complain and gripe and are you doing anything about it? You don't like the lifestyles people are making? Go do something about it. Not in a physical, angry way. They're they're sick and they need the medicine, and the medicine's the gospel. You got it. It's very children churchy, but maybe we need to get back to children's churchy days. When the seven year old comes home and says, Daddy, so-and-so said they didn't believe in God, but I told them about Jesus. Oh, that's good, little Johnny. Maybe little Johnny's doing more than we're doing. So in a world of incredibly me-centered selfishness, how will you be remembered? Will you drop yourself into a hole with some people? Or will you run and jump off the boat and jump on the lifeboat? Because if you do decide to jump in the hole, they'll listen. They'll listen to what you have to say. They'll listen to your complaints. And they'll listen to your solution. And they might just do it. But if all we do is continue to sit on the sidelines and gripe and complain and say, well, I'm just going to hold on to the rapture. It's not the way the Lord desired the local church to be. So could it be said of you in any positive sense? And only you can answer this question. These are they who have turned the world upside down. Stand to your feet this morning. Several years ago, Pastor Brown set a great example for the staff and some of you that were here back then. Yes, he preached about the things that are going on and things that are going to happen. But he went out and he ran for state representative. He didn't win, but he ran. He did something about it. Made him uncomfortable. It was out of his wheelhouse, but he ran, Lane. Lane. If you're tired of the way things are going, go do something about it. I don't want to read another email. I don't want to read another text. Don't send me another video. Don't bring. Don't. Don't. I know what's going on in the world. I, I'm. I'm deeply. I. My life is engulfed with what's going on in the world. Whether it be foster care, whether it be adoption, whether it be the public school, whether it be just teenagers. I know what's happening. I know the gender situation. I know the drug problem. I know it, the witchcraft. I know about all that stuff. Please don't send me another book. I want you to do something about it. Is Miss Pat here? Miss Pat Westerman? She's probably praying. Miss Pat Westerman is one of my favorite humans on earth. And I went back a couple weeks ago and and I sat next to her. And we just, it's one of my favorite things to do in the church, sit next to old people. Just talk. Just talk. She ain't mad. She's old. Can we just be real, people? If you're old, you're old. Amen, Sister Pat. I'm old. Yeah, get over it. But she was weeping, and she said, she said, I can't do much anymore. She said, I, want, I can't. She's talking about the Sunday school and the sign-ups and doing more in the church. Pastor preached about a couple weeks ago. She said, all I can do is pray. Mm. I said, Miss Pat, you pray. But I said, Miss Pat, you've done enough. 30, 40 years on the public school campus. You impacted a lot of people. I was one of them. But she did something. And I've never heard her complain. She's never sent me a video. She's never sent me an article complaining and gripping about everything that's going on. She just took the initiative and went and did something. And I honor you, Miss Pat. Brother Dew, Wednesday night, I had to send him home. He was about to spit shine the whole gym. Teenagers run around, balls flying everywhere. Brother, do I appreciate you doing something about it? This is our time. We got to run to the smokestack because there's lives at stake, and they need us, church family. If you're here this morning, you say, "Man, I want to run." I want to be remembered for something that I did for the kingdom. I don't want to be remembered for my car or my house. I don't want to be remembered as being a good cook. I want to be remembered for something that I did for the kingdom and I want to do something about it. I want you to invite you to these altars right now. Come on, come. I want to be remembered for something that I did for the kingdom. I'm tired of the talk. I'm tired of the opinions. I'm, talking, I'm tired of the back and forth. I'm tired of everybody's got an opinion. am tired of all that mess. I'm tired of watching videos. I'm tired of I'm just tired of all that mess, and I just want to get down in the dumps with people because they need Jesus. They need the gospel. Can we pray for those people right now? Come on in your own way. I want you to begin to pray for the people right now that need Jesus. And I want you to pray that God would send you. You know the route that God has for you. Some of you know it right now, and this message has just propelled you into that by saying yes. It might be a job, it might be a school, it might be an inroad that you have somewhere that maybe I don't, but you know, some of you know. And for those of you that don't, I want you to pray. God, what is it, Lord? Where do you want me to meet people at? Where do you want me to go, Lord God? Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, we pray, Lord God, that when our time is called, Lord, Father, that people would talk about us, Lord, in a spiritual sense. God, they'll talk about the things that we did for the kingdom. They'll talk about how we were unashamed to sit down with people and have discussions and how how we taught the word, how we showed people how to live out the word. God, let our children see us, Lord. Let our children's children see us, Lord. God, it's not just people that all they did was sit around and complain, but we did something about it. And God, I selfishly pray that you would allow us, God, your will, Father, you would allow us to see the fruit, Lord, in Hebrew Springs, as I believe you already have a little glimpse, Lord God. Father, let us begin to see people saved, Lord, because we're taking the initiative. God, we pray for, for mass salvations in Hebrew Springs. I'm praying specifically right now, God, that you would, Father, show us mass salvations, people that would just cry out to God because somebody was willing to put down their phone, somebody was willing to sign out of their social media page and stop complaining, and they were, they were serious about it, and they were willing to go do something about it. God, whether it's a substitute teacher, God, whether it's an iron worker, God, whether it's a farmer, Lord God, whether it's somebody at retail, whatever it is, God, I pray you would send them, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray, Father, that, Lord, when we want to complain, when we have that complaint on our tongue, we'll stop and we'll open the Word and begin to study and read it, as Jace challenged us to do last week. God, we would prepare our hearts, Lord, so that we could be poured out. God, let the complacency stop in the local church. God, I pray that the only person that is anointed, the only person that is prepared, I pray that it's more than just the preacher. I pray that it's the whole church. I pray that it's the kids. I pray that it's the teenagers. God, I pray that it's everybody, Lord God. That, Father, when we leave this building every Sunday morning, every Wednesday, every Bible study, Lord, we will not just leave here feeling good because we've been together, but we would leave here challenged and ready to be poured out in Heber Springs and the surrounding area. God, we prayed it around COVID, and I understand But I still pray it today. God, let church look different. Let church look different. Let us hurt for the hurting, God. Let us not just say somebody else will do it. Your word says if we have, God, if we have, Lord, the medicine, Lord, then we should give it to the sick. It's not the righteous that need it. It is the sick. Be reminded of that tonight, today. Yes, it's good that we're in Sunday school. Yes, it's good we have Bible studies. Yes, it's good that we're preached to. But we're not necessarily the ones that need it. It's the ones that aren't here today. It's the ones that are sitting in houses across the street from this building right now. And they're recovering from a hangover or they're recovering from an addiction or they, they've been beaten the night before or they've just ravaged and they're hopeless and they want to kill themselves. That's the people. So, Father, we commit. Come on, I want you to lift your hands if you can. Father, we commit as a church, Father, in the name of Jesus, that, God, 50, 70, 80, 100 years from now, if you haven't returned, God, when people talk about first assembly, I pray, God, we pray that they talk about a people, Father God, Lord, that was desperate for the lost. God, they'll talk about a people that didn't complain. They weren't caught up in all the noise. They were more caught up with lost people. They were more caught up with people. They were more caught up with being compassionate. They were more caught up with putting down their devices and looking at people eye to eye and loving people. They truly displayed Christ's love in that church so many years ago. That's who that church was. They loved Jesus. They read their Bible. Everybody that you would talk to knew the Word. I remember that. I remember that. I, I, it wasn't just Pastor Brown and, and JoJo and Jason and Shane and Aaron and Chelsea. It was, it was everybody that I talked to, it seemed like, at first assuming They knew the Word. And they had something different about them, all of them. God, I pray that's what people talk about years from now. So, Father, we commit this morning to that, Lord, the best that we know how. We commit to it, God, and we run, as Paul told us to do. We run, Father, from this building. We run. We run, God. We jump in the smokestack today. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. We're going to sing one song, and then we'll be dismissed. Come on, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord.